how do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome to this episode of the 2020s Enterprise. Uh, the title of this episode is Your Business as an Architecture, But Do You Know What It Is? Part 2. And on part one, we discussed the concepts of architecture and why it was important uh, to a business. And we're not talking, of course, about physical architecture. We're talking about the architecture of the business or enterprise itself and its corresponding technologies. And from our view, the real purpose of enterprise architecture and business architecture is the enabling of business strategy. That's really what is it is about. Secondarily, and almost as important, it's the baseline for addressing and managing continuous change. And as a rhetorical question to the audience, if you don't think it is architecture that's a baseline for addressing and managing change, then what is it? I'm sure it's not a thousand pages of text. So when we think about this, it is vitally important for an enterprise, a business, to have an explicit representation of their architecture. And that's a key to addressing and managing continuous change. It becomes the baseline for managing that change and to us, the enabler of business strategy in a traceable and transparent manner. Now, the other reason for a architecture is the transformation of the business intent into some kind or group of mechanized solutions, most commonly referred to as computer systems. But it could be other approaches that are out there. And this is what the second half of this series of episodes are about. The first segment we did previously was to introduce this concept and discuss some of the advantages of a solution that is based on an architecture versus a random approach or guessing as to what those solutions are, an architected approach. And we covered a number of different advantages. We talked about, from a business perspective, the communication of business goals and the transformation of those goals into a series of solutions. The traceability of that, we always talk about alignment from solutions to the business. The alignment that has to occur, well, this is one of the baseline requirements that you have in a really good enterprise or business architecture. The third uh, advantage we talked about is the human consumability. This is vital. We sometimes see uh, architects in an organization put together representations that are really geared toward solution implementation, a different audience, the technology audience. And we'll refer to that as EITA, Enterprise Information Technology Architecture. Very, very important, but very different than the transformation of the business intent into something that is understandable by the business and mechanizable by the technologists that are out there. Fourth 
uh, reason why we think it's very advantageous to have a strong architecture is to gain confidence and cadence in the working of that. A roadmap is another phrase when we use as far as cadence. There's a roadmap. There's a beginning and a middle and an end. And then there's a refresh and a beginning and a middle and an end. And each one of these cycles provides a continuous understanding of what's going on. Architecture ends when the enterprise ceases to exist, when the enterprise dies. This is one of the things we have to recognize. It's not a one-off activity that goes on. And in our digital uh, digitalization of, of a lot of things in the organization, you can see where this leads change as we move forward. Fifth reason, there's expertise that is equated to various parts of the architecture that is there. And that should be understood through the architectural elements. There's process expertise. There's data expertise. There's organizational expertise. And we refer to those most of the time as bioengineering, B-I-O business, B-I information, O organization. Those are the three-legged stools that are there. And each one of those requires a bit different representation just like in the physical world when you're building a house, there's a plumbing representation, a heating, ventilation, an air conditioning representation, electrical representation, all looking at the house from different views. We see that same thing in enterprises. Sixth reason is unrealized or masked relationships. This is sort of like, what if we do this? What if we do this? What happens? What are the intended consequences? And of course, the other thing we want to look at is the unintended consequences before we we make that happen. Uh, whoopses are a problem when it comes to business, you know, that's out there. The seventh reason for doing an architecture is essentially to develop a bill of health and a bill of health of the solutions that are out there is one of the advantages that we can get in looking at the technology. So again, coming full circle here from our previous episode, We talked about in this series of the 2020 Enterprise why technology organizations, implementation, computerization activities need to have an architecture. And of course, this is the third reason for it, as we we discussed. So once again, first primary reason from our perspective is the enabler of business strategy. Second the ability to explicitly understand and represent a baseline for addressing and managing change. And the third reason is essentially a mapping of the business into a technology solution that's there. And so we covered in our first episode in this sequence those seven reasons. So let's go on here. There's a lot more reasons why there are solution advantages for having an architecture. This has to do with availability of processes to meet the business needs that are mechanized, that are out there. So we have new activities going on in the organization, in the business, and those are represented by new processes. Well, the technologists need to understand what those are and put together a game plan, a roadmap, as to how mechanization may actually occur to help the business move forward with these new processes. And there's a planning activity, a budgeting activity, 
uh, development support activities, testing, of course, and operation of the solution, training, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, looking at the consequences of these new actions against the business and the technology that's out there. So again, we need that explicit series of representations so we can sort of see what is going on. So as the business is moving forward and is represented through a series of business architecture examples and representations, then we can have that corresponding activity in the technology side also, and we can do that mapping that's out there. And this minimizes entropy, minimizes waste is really what we're looking at. The worst thing that we sometimes hear is, oh, I didn't recognize that was actually what you meant. (laughs) Meanwhile, we spent hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars um, in areas that, you know, obviously cost time and most importantly, opportunities, you know, that are out there. Now, let's continue on. There's lots of other advantages. The operations and test groups can identify early where a solution will need specific care. In other words, there could be critical processes and critical activities that are going on that are more impactful to the organization that may need a little bit more care and feeding. And that will come through the architecture models as far as mapping the activities of the organization back to the business drivers, the business goals that are out there. So the solution definition will highlight all the impacted systems, sites, roles, data requirements that are out there, process activities, networks, bandwidth, all these things that we see can be identified when you have a series of explicit representations prior to the change being made. You can do what if analysis that's out there. That all has to do with the concepts of architecture that we're talking about and mapping that back to the business. And of course, the business will be able to prioritize those actions in order to get the most impact of the solutions you know, that, are, that are going on there. So once again, we have those explicit representations that are from the architecture activities that drive the solutions that we're looking for in a transparent manner. Now, we can also do some pretty detailed analysis to start looking at optimization of the business prior to the mechanization or computerization. So before we go out and start spending a lot of money and a lot of actions in the technology area, it's best to look at the business and see whether or not the business actions could be optimized prior to the technology enablement or mechanization. Technology can't simplify the business. It can only represent or reflect what the business is doing. So the computerization of those activities may speed up things, but it's not going to simplify things. So we have to start with business simplification, which is then mapped to technology simplification. And that's the way we will essentially reduce the technology activities that are going on out there. So optimizing the business has not only an advantage from a business perspective, but also from a technology perspective, it will simplify the enablement of things um, that the organization wants to do. And that'll come from one of the maps that's quite, quite important in an organization, 
is mapping the processes the business does to the business drivers, the business goals. And in a two-dimensional grid or chart or matrix, you can clearly start seeing, not a thousand pages of text here, but the human consumable approach of a two-dimensional grid showing the goals that the organization is trying to achieve and the processes the business does to do those. And then we can do another overlay on top of that to say here are the systems or mechanizations or solutions that map into these things and we can look at the optimized picture with the least amount of potential redundancy, the least amount of costs, that is both a negotiation with our business partners to say, well, if we do this, here's the impact. It's not a yes or no, it's a negotiation to say, here's the things that we have, here's the things that we have in inventory, here's the leverage points, et cetera, et cetera, as we see it. Then we also have to look at it and say, we may have gaps. And those gaps are for various reasons. One is importance. Two years ago, five years ago, it may not have been as, as important as things are today, these particular processes. Now they are. Or there are new actions, new activities uh, that we need to look at. And there'll be new activities and processes in the business side, which will need to be reflected in the technical side there. So the solution impact that we look at is both from a business standpoint and a technology standpoint that's out there. We'll also be able to look at things that may need to be updated for various business changes that are out there. And that could be due to numerous reasons, whether it's new technology changes, new business changes, those types of things uh, that are out there. So we want to change the business processes before we actually do the mechanization uh, that is out there. We can also look at the other end, which is the retirement or the decommissioning of things. Yes, that should be something we look at. Everything has a useful life. And we need to decide from a business perspective which business processes we don't need to do anymore or which need to be updated or which need to be retired or sunsetted. Whatever language that you want to use, all those have different connotations and different ramifications from a technology standpoint. But if the business process doesn't need to be done anymore, of course, we'd also want to decommission the technology that is associated with that. And it, again, that mapping we're talking about is an advantage for both the business and the technology people that they're. And so this whole series of benefits that we're just talking about clarifies the process value within a solution from a business perspective and a technology perspective provides an understanding of the impact of that particular change prior to the changes made to avoid, again, I'm just chuckling, unintended consequences that we see all the time. Oh my goshes. And by the way, in the world of technology, that's reflected in what I call the dot issue. Uh, this is version 13.1.6.9 <laughs> that's out there. And these are all the oh my goshes that we find uh, once we have that. And to me, that's quite disgusting to be as, as blunt as I can put it here. It is disgusting. We call them glitches. We call them uh, vulnerabilities. No, it's software errors. It's mistakes. It costs us money. And we should be looking at ways to, of course, minimize that. 
And of course, we can look at the dependencies. If we take make this change, what's the effect on that particular area there? That's that impact analysis uh, that we're talking about. And we can also look at the stratification within an organization within this benefit. These particular processes are used by these types of individuals or these roles that people have, these types of processes, others. And we can look at countries, we can look at sites, we can look at functionality, all of these other business impacts that will review prior to changes being made the impact on both the business and the technology, you know, that is out there. Now, parallel to that is going to be a, just a quick discussion about the other component that we have to look at. So we've been discussing the process impact in an organization. But in the good old days, technologists used to be called data processing or data processing staff or systems, whatever you'd like to call it, data processing. We have many names for the technology organization today, uh, some of which I can't discuss on, on a broadcast, but most of them I can. But basically, we have to remember what we're doing now is processing data. In the olden days, we were called data processing. What are we doing today? Processing data. So there's two sides of this equation that we're going to be looking at. So we, do, we, do co we covered in our first segment here a little bit about the process side, and we're going to take a short break coming up in just a moment. And when we come back from our break, we're going to be talking about the other side, which is the data impact from a business and technology standpoint. You're listening to Sam Holzman. That's me, 2020's Enterprise. We're talking about the advantages of architected solutions for a business. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a Methodology of Business Understanding, Technology Planning, and Change by Leading Enterprise Architect Practitioner Sam Holzman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning 
and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. In this episode of The 2020s Enterprise, we're talking about the concepts of architected explicit representation of the business and what the advantages of that are to the technology organization. And in our previous episode, I covered a series of advantages. And of course, from your standpoint as an individual and organization, uh, we're giving you sort of a bed sheet of the possible advantages that are out there. And you may get all of these or some of these. The key thing is we recognize that the explicit representation concept needs to be understood from two perspectives, the business perspective and the technology perspective, and it's a communications vehicle. And that's why we use the term human consumable, human consumable. And that term, I think, is very, very important as we move forward in the technology age that we're in, the information age that we're in. So we covered a number of of different uh, advantages. And if any of you are counting, uh, we've talked about 11 different distinct advantages of having the business architecture explicitly represented and that drives the solutioning environment in the technology world. And by the way, this is true for whether or not the organization is acquiring packages, building their own whether you're using agile programming or visual programming or waterfall programming or QRS programming or all the other types of implementations that are out there. Uh, and I can throw some fancy schmancy names at you of all the different technologies that people are experimenting and using out there. The key thing is the explicit representations and the mapping that is going on. So there's lots of different advantages about an architecture that is done on the business side or first, and then that is used to drive the solutioning in the organization. And the next advantage we want to talk about is the advantage on the data side. And when I say data, the term that I actually prefer, uh, uh, prefer excuse me, is stuff. Things of interest to the business. The problem is if we came to you and said, by the way, uh, we're here to build a stuff model, you'd probably throw us out of the room from a business perspective. And I understand that. So a lot of people are comfortable with the word data. But really, data is the representation of things that are of interest to the business. So we're always struggling with this terminology a little bit. And uh, the term that I use in, in our formal training is material stuff. Again, using that word stuff. So just as important as process, remember data processing, is the other side of the equation that's out there. And the value there is massively important, massively important, when we start hearing about the concepts of data analysis. And there are so many different terms 
that are related to this that it's astounding. Big data, data marts, data distribution centers, big data, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of different things that are going on in the world of data. And some people, and I would be one of those, would suggest that data is going to be the currency in the information age or something like that. And we see a lot of actions going on about who owns your data. In other words, who owns your data. But this is becoming more important. And I'm just going to give you a little example as to the precision required when it comes to analyzing this from a business perspective. So one of the things about our family is that we really, really, really enjoy our time at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, to the point where my wife and I have had annual passes there for 42 years and counting. Uh, Yes, I've been married to the same lady for even more than that. Uh, As a matter of fact, it's 47 years, and she's put up with me for those many years, and I thank her for that, if she's listening. Probably not. She's out probably Supporting the economy. Okay, (laughs) back to the Disney example when it comes to data. Just to give you an idea of how important this is from a business perspective. So a number of years ago, uh, we were blessed, uh, both of our children are married, and we were blessed with our first grandchild. And when she was old enough, of course, uh, grandma and grandpa say, you're coming to Florida, we hope, and uh, spend some great time in at Orlando and Walt Disney World. And again, from a family perspective, so now we have five. We have myself, my wife, my son, who has also grown up with the Disney World concept because we take them gleefully, joyfully, and with a lot of anticipation down to Disney every year, multiple times if funds would allow And just had a blast each time. Now we have a new member of our family, which is my daughter-in-law. Parentheses, not really happy about crowds and sweating heat. Hint, 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 hint. (laughs) And, of course, we now have our new grandchild. Uh, And the age that she was at, she understood very quickly. And she was just thrilled to go down there. I give you this profile because this has to do with data and why this is so important from a business perspective. And if we don't have it right on the business side, solutions can't take care of this. This is vitally important. So let me back up here and give you that profile. We have myself, my wife, my son, love Disney. We have our new daughter-in-law that we love dearly, but doesn't really appreciate Lots of noise and crowd and sweat and things like that. And I understand why uh, it's there. And now we have our wonderful granddaughter that is just bubbling, ready to go. Now, five people. I'm going to use a generic term here. Who is the customer? Now, please recognize that once this is captured, this data is captured, You can't reverse engineer something that was not engineered in the first place. Now, people would say, well, Sam, you're the customer because you probably paid the bill, which I did with 
gleefully and joyfully did that. Well, that data would be so erroneous to Disney that it would possibly give false signals, false, excuse me, signals. What is Disney actually looking for? They're looking for one of the key things they would be looking for is who is the influencer, the influencer in this gang of five to possibly allow that influencer to influence the decision-making process for the next year. All of a sudden, that word customer isn't just the person paying the bill. And if we don't have that stratification, once it's there, you can't reverse engine, you can't grab it, you can't data cleanse it, it's not there. So we need to have a business perspective before we build any mechanization and data to understand the needs prior to the capture of the data. Because once it's there, and if we bunch the five of us into customers, or even me as a customer, we've lost all that understanding. So we would need to have some descriptors, some augmentation to understand this. And this is why the solutioning based on an architecture is so important. If nothing else drives you to solutioning based on an architecture in an organization, maybe this is. So what we have to recognize from a business perspective is that stratification. So for example, we have the ATM machine, meaning grandpa, me, <laughs> paid the bill, whatever you want to call that individual. Okay, the sponsor, the, the payer, the customer, funder, whatever you want to call it. You can use any name that you want. You have to have the stratification. Now, I love my wife dearly, but her role here could be described as um, assistant vice president or assistant or guest. My son, in this particular category, if you look at it from the simplest standpoint, just think about now as we're talking to you you know, on the air here. What is my son's category? Customer? No. Okay. Enjoyer of Disney? Yeah. Son of sponsor? Yeah. All of those may have value as we move forward. Now, let's go to my granddaughter for a moment. I'm going to come back to my daughter-in-law in just a moment. My granddaughter is the recipient of some of the fun that's there. And she is the role of the viewer of the influencer that will make the decision on future visits. The influencer is my daughter-in-law. If she has a okay time even, yet she's looking at the glee that her daughter has, she will reluctantly say, well, you know what? Maybe we should come down here again. So she's the influencer. It has nothing to do with cash flow. It has somewhat to do with her personal desires and wants and likes. But most importantly, especially for my lovely daughter-in-law, the glee that she sees in her daughter 
will ever bite her tongue for a moment and say, yep, we're going to go again, or we're going to have a great time. So that's why the architecture of this particular component stands out and why it needs to have a stratification and a correlation back to the business to allow the technologist to build a solution that captures and is able to leverage that. I want to stress again, just because you have a lot of data doesn't mean it's useful. As a matter of fact, it may lead to false actions. We need to have that understanding in that level of specificity to allow actions to be taken. And that comes through architecture and understanding the business needs. I haven't talked about any technologies here. Now, just imagine the leverage the business also has at this particular point when they have that stratification, whether it's mechanized or not. So it's at the source that we need to look at it. Then. So all of a sudden, we see, once again, the solutioning based on that architecture and the value becomes almost geometric when we start looking at that. And then we can look at the viability of solutions with that stratification and make build-by decisions. Can we go out and buy a package that has that stratification in it? Or can we modify that package? Or do we have to build our own? Because that's the DNA of the organization. And that's what the architecture is going to describe. And the solution of that will essentially be the beating heart that results from that architecture that is there. And then we can look at essentially changes, you know, that may, may go on. So, for example, we may have things that need to be updated because circumstances change. I, I'm just throwing things out there. For example, uh, let's look at for, uh, uh, something that goes on at Disney, which is really uh, heartwarming to a lot of people. Um, you know, you have various charitable organizations uh, like Make-A-Wish uh, that provide um, experiences for children that are have less than a wonderful life as they move forward, unfortunately. And all of us can experience some of these things. Um, you know, as we move forward, we can see these things or we may have situations in our own family. So what is the make-a-wish component? What are they? Once again, they're a sponsor, perhaps. But how do you get that gauge out there? How do you get that stratification? I want to stress again, the business has to provide that understanding to the technologist through a traceable and transparent manner so that all that information isn't lost that's out there. We also want to make sure that it doesn't become stale. In other words, no longer of business value that's out there. So there's refreshing that's going on. And of course, we can also look at gap analysis to make sure that there isn't any gaps going on. So lots and lots of value that's there. And then from that, once we have the recognition of the processes from a business perspective and the data needs or the material needs from a business perspective, and we have that mapping going on, we can build a relationship. Once again, another really easy to understand, we hope, two-dimensional grid saying, these processes the, the, use that particular data, this, these data elements or these data components 
These material components are used by these processes. So if there's any change in either direction, we can do an impact analysis on that to find out what the business impact is of that change, look at the technology impact of that change. Once again, the phrase that I use is to avoid unintended consequences. We can do analysis before those changes are made when we have those relationships explicit and the tie between the business and the technologist through architecture in place that's there. We can then move on to another component which is the role or the who component. Where is this going on? Who's doing this? What are the benefits? What are the restrictions? What are the country-specific or state-specific or city-specific or location-specific actions for these processes versus the information that's there? Where can this stuff be stored? How can we use it? So we can look at the roles that people play and the processes they need to carry out to play those roles. And we can look at the training needs, the technology needs, the accuracy of deployment in various areas uh, that, we, that we look at and what the consequences are inaccu- inaccurate activities you know, are and the penalties involved. And the new skills or the skills that may be retired when it comes to these actions. Again, the clear understanding through a series of human consumable expressive representations from the business. We're going to take another short break. Once we come back from the short break, we'll come up and uh, define just a few more benefits of solutions that are enabled through architecture. See you back here in just a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a methodology of business understanding, technology planning, and change by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. 
You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back to our last segment on the concepts of architecture and why your business has an architecture, what it means to you, and also what it means to the solutioning organization to drive the solutions off of the architecture of the business. And the last episode we had on this topic, which was I called part one, and this is part two, we're covering a really a bed sheet of various benefits that are there to looking at a architected approach for the business that drives the solutioning and what those advantages are on the solutioning side. And of course, previous episodes of the 2020s Enterprise, we talked about business architecture, we talked about enterprise architecture and the advantages of those from a business perspective. This particular episode and our previous episode talks about the advantages to the technology activities going on in the organization that's there. And so continuing on with these advantages, we're actually up to, believe it or not, if anyone again is is counting um, here, we're up to 15 benefits already that you may experience all of these or some of these from a solutioning approach that is based on an architecture. So we're going to continue on here and also now talk about some very specific things from a technology standpoint, and that's that where's the solution deployed? Simply knowing this could have very important ramifications as changes are made. Just knowing the inventory of things out there this may sound, you know, silly, but to large organizations, where are all their servers? You know, people are talking about cloud computing a lot nowadays. There is no such thing as a computer in the cloud. It sits somewhere. And with that comes risks, costs, and, of course, a strong belief, advantages. But there's also those other components risks and costs. If I put my stuff here versus there, there are ramifications of that, and we should understand it because there's no real such thing as in the cloud. It's somewhere. And we're hearing more and more about this location issue when it comes to the splintering of the Internet. And some people are talking about the concept of a splinter net rather than an Internet where governments may be involved and actually managing, if I can use that phrase, the usage of the technology, who can use it where it is, and when the wall comes up or down, and who has the switch to open or close the gates, essentially, that are out there. So another thing that we have to look at is the explicit representations of the locations that the business performs its actions, and where the technology would may, may need to be deployed for various reasons not only economic, you know, that are out there. So location mapping from a business to technology actions may be important to a lot of organizations that are, that are out there. 
And of course, we can also look at the mapping of the actual system or application or solution and where that's sitting in our universe of computing, you know, that's out there. And we can look at the actions down to a very granular level to the actual processor, if that's required, especially in some government organizations, um, you know, that may require that type of granularity. This piece of data is on this specific piece of hardware in this specific location or some other people and organizations may have a looser requirement that's there. I just have to know that it's in the United States or North America or Eastern Europe or Western Europe. You can have those types of location dependencies and you want to see those mappings. And the business may have some judgment calls that are there. Not only from a standpoint of if I can throw out a term, a technology term here just for a moment, Technology latency, in other words, latency, the the delay in transmission that may or may not occur in some things, and some things some uh, things require, you know, millisecond response times uh, for some organizations. If you're doing you know stock trading and things like that, or just think about autonomous vehicles for a moment, how long can you wait for a decision to be made on whether or not the thing crossing the street is a pedestrian? or a wrapper from a piece of chewing gum. A computer is making that decision. How long do you have to make that decision, Mr. Computer, this computer, you know, that's out there? Can we go back into the cloud and grab that information and bring it back? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> so we have to know the location relevancy of the data when we're talking about mechanization, you know, of that type of, that degree of, of specificity. You know, same thing going on now if some of you are using uh, currencies or uh, transactions that involve your cell phone. You know, where do you keep the, you know, information about those types of things? So location, once again, the mapping. And the business will give us an understanding of what that is, what their requirements are and the logic behind it, and then the mapping that goes on there. And from a business and technology standpoint on both sides, both parties recognize that this architecture thing isn't static. As we like to say, architecture ends when the business ceases to exist, when the business dies. It goes through a continuous cycle, so architecture should lead change. The word documentation occurs after the change is made. Wash my mouth out with soap if I get those things reversed. You can't post architect, you can post document. So the cycle of solutioning we recommend, strongly recommend to our clients is architect, analyze, design, assemble a solution. Architect, analyze, design, assemble. Not construct, maintain, maintain, maintain. That's out there. So lots of different reasons. And we can also recognize that this concept of evergreening is important for architecture because it's the business understanding. The business isn't static. So as the business is changing, the architecture will enable those changes that are going on. And we can look at this from a holistic standpoint, from a full enterprise perspective, which would be ideal. Or we can look at it from a specific business focused standpoint. 
Now, we have to remember if we have an enterprise slice or a piece of the business that's out there, that the concepts of integration and interfacing are different. In our previous episode of the 2020s Enterprise, we described those differences uh, for those that may be interested in those two terms. They are very different. Integration can be done through architecture. Interfacing occurs when you have to take two disparate things and put them together. It's not right or wrong, but there's no such thing as post-integration. There's post-interfacing. And there's consequences and there's benefits and drawbacks from each one of these approaches that are out there. And as we're adding functionality in an organization from a business perspective, of course, we need to communicate that across both the business and the technology organizations. And as things get smaller, more of that communication is going on. So the concepts of an agile enterprise is what we're looking for from a solutioning advantage, an agile enterprise. So as the business has changes in needs or desires or requirements from a business standpoint, a competitive standpoint, from a government standpoint, from a legislative standpoint, it can react to it as quickly as possible without interruption to the business flow or at least minimizing that type of business interruption. And one of the end results of all this is hopefully faster solutioning. And this comes through architecture plus what we call maturity level three organizations in technology. And those maturity level three organizations are called assemble to order. And the three levels of maturity are make to order, which is the most basic and the most primitive, frankly. And unfortunately, most organizations are in that because technology is very young. So it's not a critique, it's a positioning. Then we have provide from stock, and the most mature is called assemble to order. And in a previous episode of 2020's Enterprise, we went into quite a bit of detail about those three maturity levels. But as we move forward in an architected approach, this assembling activity is going to become almost transparent to both the business and technologist. And not that solutioning is going to occur momentarily or instantaneously on command, but the most mature organizations will have this activity that we call architect plus assemble to order is an agile environment that's there. Just two more benefits that we see. All the activities are going to reflect the understanding from the business in an explicit manner. So the concept of tribal knowledge, which is what a lot of organizations exist on, which is wonderful because we have all that knowledge, will be codified or represented from a business standpoint. Not that we don't need people, we do, but some of that information needs to be codified so we can understand and analyze that information. And not all knowledge is available in written form, and this is going to be the catalyst to bring that to the organization 
in an understandable manner. And that comes through the concepts of architecture. And the last benefit that we see, and if anyone again is counting, there's 23 that we put together for you. Business develops and technologists develop what? A single version of the truth. You may call it a glossary. You may call it a representation. You may call it an architecture. I like to call it the baseline for addressing and managing change. It's one version of the truth for the organization. And once we have that version, we can have a roadmap that's built to get us to the desired state. And so quite simply, a roadmap comes from understanding the as-is state, the desired state, and we can sort of, quote, draw a straight line between those to get the desired state that, that would be there. And those explicit representations of the business transforming into a series of solutions is one of the strongest benefits of an architected approach to the solutioning that's out there. And from that, we get a consistent set of representations, a consistent set of understandings, definitions. What is a customer? What is an influencer? What is a guest? What is a product? What is a service? All of these nouns that are out there that have a loose interpretation will be tightened up not because it's a technology issue, but it's an asset, an asset to the organization that differentiates one organization from another. It's the DNA that we have, which is explicitly represented, understood by the business, transformed into solutions through the technology partners that are there. And we have that synergistic approach you know, that we see. So this consistent source of understanding is the last and possibly the most critical element, the baseline for addressing and managing continuous change in an organization. And that drives a solution set that is aligned with the business imperatives that we see it. And within that concept is the advantages that we suggest to organizations of an architected solution from technology. And we want to emphasize that your business has an architecture and what we're actually looking for is the explicit representation of that, extracting that out. Thanks for listening to this episode, part two of your business as an architecture. Let's find out what it is. I'm Sam Holzman. You've been listening to the 2020s Enterprise. Until next time, have a great day. Thank you for tuning in this week to the 2020s Enterprise. Be sure to join your host, Sam Holzman, again for another edition of our program next Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more topics of discussion then. 